sad when we lose our song. You know, I think all of us can remember sometime during the course of a church service maybe. It might have been at the very beginning as we entered into the service, or it might be something happened uh, later on during the service. And for whatever reason, we, we just... We just couldn't sing, and we were maybe angry about something, jealous about something, or whatever it was. Now, we got to be careful that we, that we don't start misjudging people, and just because someone might not be singing on a particular day, there might be reasons for that that you don't know anything about, so... Be careful about criticizing people. You don't know all of the facts. But that being said, sometimes we, uh, well, we entertain the wrong attitude and uh, we we just don't sing. That that ought to be out of character for us. I remember several years ago over in the other building one Sunday morning, and I was uh, I was upset about something and trying to trying to hide it, I guess, and uh, so I was sitting there during the song service and just not singing. I, uh, no good reason, you know, for not singing, but I, I just didn't feel like singing. I was, I was mad or whatever it was, and I'll never forget uh, during the course of the song, Brother Dennis Maxey, who was our music director at the time, and he was standing there before the congregation, but he just kind of stopped and turned around and looked at me to, because normally I sing, or at least I make an attempt, and he just looked at me, and and boy, it hit me like a ton of brick. I thought to myself, you know, I it's become obvious that I'm not singing, and uh, for whatever reason, uh, it's a distraction from the service, but... Uh, that song really expresses what the attitude of our heart ought to be in regards to singing because uh, all of the days are not going to be bright and sunny. The weather's not always going to be fair. Uh, the neighbors are not always going to be friendly. Things are not always going to go our way. And it's what we do then uh, that really defines who we are. Paul and Silas, when they were in the Philippian jail, and I think about that story, and here it is, midnight. No good reason why they ought to be there, and yet there they are. They've been mistreated, beaten, abused. And at midnight, they prayed and sang praises to God. Now, I'm making mention of all of that to let you know that there were many times in Paul's ministry when maybe he didn't really feel like singing, he didn't really feel like going on and ministering to people. Now let me tie this to our message tonight because Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. These are a people that Paul loved dearly. In fact, Paul had spent 18 months there teaching these people. There had been many new converts during his ministry. People saved under his preaching, and so he spent 18 months. Now listen, that might not seem like a long time, but when you think about the ministry of Paul, the apostle, I mean, that is a 
a long time out of his busy schedule and all of the many places where God was using him. And 18 months, these people had been highly privileged to sit at his feet. And then he receives the news in regards to the church that it's not really doing well at all. In fact, there is a division. In fact, there are more than just more than a division. The church is divided in three or four different directions. And having all of these problems called to his attention, and out of deep concern, Paul writes this letter, and he deals with different subjects that that all relate to the problems going on there. Well, in this instance, in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is speaking to them in regards to the Lord's Supper and the proper observance of the Lord's Supper. We begin our reading in verse 17. Now in this I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, and they which are approved, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What have ye not houses to eat and to drink in, or despise ye the church of God? And shame them that have not. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it, and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together into condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Well, you listen to little sound bites of what Paul said, and uh, you might think Paul doesn't like these people, or that Paul is angry with these people, but that's not the case. Paul was bold in his speech, and I mean, he just, well, he, 
as the old saying goes, he was one who who told it like it was. I mean, he he didn't cut him any slack. I mean, he realized the importance of dealing with this issue because they had gone so far astray in this matter. They listen. They didn't need some little lovey-dovey kind of a message. They they needed somebody to tell them the truth. And boy. I'll tell you, Paul was just the man to do that. Let me remind you of a verse that I read at the very beginning of this series. We talked about what is a what is an independent Baptist church. I'm not going to go back over that. And we've already dealt with that. And we've dealt with other matters related to the Lord's Supper. But in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5, I began the series by reading this verse, and I want to mention it again tonight, where God is instructing Moses concerning the tabernacle, and he said this, See, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. In other words, God gave to Moses specific details, and he expected him to follow those details. I mean, All of the way. Now, we can say the same thing in regards to baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's our responsibility to read God's Word, to discover what the pattern is, and then follow that pattern as closely as possible. Maybe the best way tonight to deal with this issue is to ask and try to answer questions. Uh, That was a method that Jesus Himself Used. If you study his life and his ministry, you discover that Jesus asked a lot of questions. In fact, I can remember some years ago preaching a series of messages about the questions that Jesus asked. And so, as every teacher would tell you, that is really a good way to, to get the truth out. So, in this regards, I want to, I want to ask three questions tonight and try to answer those questions and And if we succeed, I think it'll clear up a lot of confusion regarding the proper observance of the Lord's Supper. Question number one, when are we to observe this ordinance? When? When do we do it? Now, the Bible does not tell us exactly or precisely how often to observe the Lord's Supper. Notice in verse number 25 and 26, the Lord, or the Lord said, and Paul's recording this, This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as ye eat of this bread and drink of this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So the Scriptures do not tell us to observe the Lord's Supper every week, or every month, or quarterly, or yearly. It leaves it for us to decide in a manner. For example... The Bible doesn't deal with every issue. It leaves the door open for churches to make certain decisions. Uh, we probably do our business meetings different than a lot of churches. There are a lot of churches. They have a monthly business meeting whether they need it or not. They're going to have it. Or quarterly business meetings. We have a business meeting whenever we've got business that we need to conduct. And uh, other than having one business meeting that's appointed ahead of time in order to fulfill our corporate obligations uh, as a corporation, uh, our annual business meeting, we don't have it set aside. I, I noticed over the years that all that did was open the door for an argument. Uh, 
David back here, he was uh, raised in Tennessee and Kentucky, and uh, he, he, he can tell you just exactly what I'm talking about, those churches there. and uh, <laughs> Some of them's got different ideas, I'll tell you. Some of them's got really weird ideas. But they, uh, when I say weird ideas, I'm talking like things like, uh, you know, it's okay for the for the missionary to show slides, but he can't show anything if the picture's moving. You couldn't show a moving picture at all. And uh, if you've got a gymnasium, oh my, you are a you're a liberal modernist. I mean, you are. Whew, that's one of the worst things you can do: have a gymnasium, turn the Lord's church into fun and frolic, and church camp. You gotta be kidding me! All that worldly stuff. So I'm telling you, when you're dealing with churches like that, a lot of them they got strange ways of doing things, and uh, and a lot of them have their monthly business meeting, and they go through the the very same uh, procedure each and every time. Some of them are real sticklers for Robert's rules of order. I mean, boy, you got to make certain you don't violate Robert's rules of order. I can, I know of one church, in fact, that they voted and they appointed a parliamentarian for the church. Really. And so when it come time to transact business, the preacher sat down and this dude got up and, and, uh, <laughs> he ran the show through the business meeting. Well, you can well imagine that churches have different ideas. There are those that insist that we ought to observe the Lord's Supper every single uh, Sunday. And, and some say, well, you know, I, we don't have to do it every Sunday, but we ought to do it at least one time a month. But notice what the Lord says. He said, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And he just leaves it there. Now, when I think about that, two things come to mind. Now, notice he said, when you do it, whenever that is, make sure you do it in remembrance of me. So, that being the case, I don't think we should do it so often that it becomes a mere ritual that we go through without even thinking about the meaning. I've been in churches, I've preached in churches where that was the case. I mean, boy, you know, come Sunday, Sunday morning, I, you know, they, now listen, that's their business. I'm not criticizing them for doing that. But I do criticize them for trying to impose that practice on me, telling me that's the way I ought to do it, the way we ought to do it. I don't think the Lord's pleased if we allow it. Now listen, if you can observe it, you know, every week and it not become that, more power to you. I don't think I, I don't think we could do that. I really don't. I think after a while we'd just be going through the motions. Uh but the other factor here is also, notice it's the Lord's Supper. I, I don't know about you, but there seems to be a time element there. And I, I know this isn't any big deal, but notice it doesn't say the Lord's breakfast. Now, that's not a point I'm going to argue over, you know, whether we observe it Sunday morning or Sunday evening. But I don't know. I've never eaten supper Early in the morning. The closest I've ever come to that is whenever I eat pizza for breakfast. And that, that's it. Anytime I can get it, that's the best breakfast I can think of. 
Amen. <laughs> I knew I'd get an amen out of Ron from that. Oh, big old slice of pizza. Now, the only reason that I even mention that is because I know a lot of folks have never thought about it. And here they are criticizing us because we don't do it every Sunday. And yet they never even stop and think about the time factor in relationship to the time of day. They do it in the morning. Oh, listen, if you're going to follow strictly the way it was, you know, uh, when, when the Lord observed it, it was in the evening. It was not in the, in the morning. Now notice what Paul says in verse 18. Verse 18, chapter 11. For first of all, when you come together... In the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it, for there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Now, the reason I mention that is because here is one of the important factors concerning when we observe the Lord's Supper. It's when we are in unity as a church. Notice Paul said, you cannot observe the Lord's Supper with these divisions. And I think it's improper for a pastor to schedule the Lord's Supper whenever he knows that there, is, there are some major divisions going on in the church. And there might be times that other people might wonder, and by the way, there are going to be other issues come up here in just a little bit. And there are going to be times people wonder, well, why, why doesn't he schedule the Lord's Supper? And, and I've been known in the past to just wait until people started asking that question before I did. Because I wanted them to actually want to observe the Lord's Supper instead of observing it just because it was on the, on the schedule. Church unity is really important to the Lord more than we can ever imagine. We'll talk about that in a little while, but let's go to the second question. Where are we to observe this ordinance? <laughs> we, 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 and this, this is not funny, but uh, it's funny only in the sense that people that can be such sticklers in some area totally ignore what the Bible teaches in other areas. And you oftentimes hear preachers, usually it'll be a radio preacher, and uh, I don't know, the last few years they've really gotten big on taking these cruises. Uh, come and go with us on our cruise, and we're going to have, you know, the, maybe the Gaithers or whoever it is providing the music, and it all sounds good until they get down to that little part, you know, where they say, and, uh, and we'll, we'll be observing the Lord's Supper. You hear people talk about observing the Lord's Supper in prison. You hear about people observing the Lord's Supper in hotel meetings and even private dwellings and what have you. It's sort of like many years ago, Pat Boone, whenever he was, whatever it was he was doing, holding these meetings, I believe in the Hired Johnson motels, and they would baptize people there in the swimming pool and and uh, use other elements for the Lord's Suppers, the report that I heard. I, I don't know the detail. That's just the stuff that's going around. And, and you know, in, in the first place, he didn't have any authority to be doing that at all, uh, not as an individual. Uh, but the fact of the matter is there's nothing in the Bible to warrant 
observing the Lord's Supper anywhere except in the Lord's church. Notice who Paul is speaking to in chapter number 1. And you always have to keep this in mind anytime you're studying any part of the Bible. Who is the writer speaking to? And he tells us very clearly in verse number 2 of chapter 1, "...unto the church of God which is at Corinth." Now look at verse 18, back in our text chapter. Chapter 11, verse 18. "...for first of all, when ye..." Who's he talking about? Church of God at Corinth, right? "...when ye come together in the church..." Now verse 33, same chapter... Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. Notice that phrase, when ye come together. That indicates that the Lord's Supper is to only be observed when the church is assembled. It's not something we do privately. It's not something that we do individually. Somebody says, well, brother so-and-so is sick and he can't get out and he can't go to church. And so, uh, preacher, would, would, would you go over there and observe the Lord's Supper? with him. No, I won't. Because I can't. I can't do that and be scriptural about it. It's not a it's not a private individual thing. It is a corporate matter. We think about the United States of America. And as you know, the individual states don't have any right to uh, other than on minor issues, but the individual states do not have any rights that would supersede the laws that are made and, and, and put into effect concerning uh, us as a corporate body, all of the states corporately. So the same thing's true in regards to the Lord's Supper. This is to be observed by the church collectively. It is an act of corporate worship. I wish I understood everything there was about this, and, and I don't. But remember when Jesus said, Where two or three are gathered in my name there, I will be in the midst of them. Why did he say that? Why did, you know, why did he say two or three? Well, it takes two or three to make an assembly. I mean, you've got to have more than one. And, and that was the point. And that's why it's important that we understand what the church is. Listen, folks, the church... Whenever you read in the Bible about the church and you see that word, it's the Greek word ekklesia. The word church does not refer to a building or a dwelling place. You know, we drive down the road and somebody looks over and says, Wow, look at that, that big, beautiful white church over there. That big, beautiful brick church over there. Well, we all know what they mean. But that's not really a church. The church is not the building. The church is made up of the people that meet in the building. Nor is the church a denomination. We talk about, well, the Presbyterian church or the Methodist church or, you know, whatever the denomination might be. Well, in reality, there's no such thing because the word church is a word that speaks about an assembly. That's the meaning of the word, assembly. In fact, you'll find the same Greek word, ecclesia, translated assembly. You find that in the book of Acts in regards to the, the mob, for example, at Ephesus. And here they are bickering and arguing. This is a secular mob of people. Nothing religious about it, but it uses the same word, assembly, 
as it does in regards to the church. And so we're talking about the Lord's church. Upon this rock will I build my church, that is, my assembly. And so the Lord's Supper then is to be observed when the church is assembled together. Now, that brings us down to the third question, and this is where this is where some folks get a bee in their bonnet. This is where, you know, some folks get all bent out of shape. But here's the third question, and that is, who is to observe the Lord's Supper? This is an area of great debate. And, and, and I've got to tell you right up front, this is an area where many have been less than Christian in denouncing the views of other people. Sometimes we get this crazy idea that if we're right, it gives us the right to be rude. That if we are right, it gives us the right to ridicule people, to mistreat people. And that, that's just not true. Because you're right doesn't give you the right to be rude to other people. And the sad thing is, sometimes Baptist preachers can be among the rudest people on the face of the earth. And the really sad thing about it is, I think I'm safe in saying in the majority of the, of the instances where that happens, it's not that they're divided over a clear, plain, Verse of Scripture where it ought to be obvious what we ought to do. Most of the time they get bent out of shape over their own personal preferences. Really, boy, I, I could go off on that for the next 30 minutes and we can... And, and listen, and you, you know, we get up and we preach our preferences as though they were Scripture. We've got to be careful about that. Not just the preachers being careful about that. As Christian people, you better be careful about trying to establish your preferences as a standard by which your neighbor or your wife or your children ought to live. I have preferences that I think I'm safe in saying 99% of the people in this building would not agree with me, but those are my preferences. And you have your preferences. Right? Let's not debate that. Let's make sure that we have a firm, solid footing for our argument, so to speak. And I'm using the word argument in a good way. I'm speaking about apologetics where we are debating, as it were, the Scriptures and understanding them. Now, there are three basic views in regards to who is to observe the Lord's Supper. Number one, there are those that speak about open communion. By that, they mean that... that Anyone who professes to be a Christian ought to be allowed to participate. Well, on the surface, that sounds like a really nice thing to do. It, you know, it, sure. You, you've received Christ as your Savior. Well, it doesn't make any difference if you're a Methodist, Presbyterian, a Baptist, or whatever you are. It doesn't make any difference. Come on over and observe the Lord's Supper with us. That, you know, that really appeals to people because it leaves the impression that we're, we're big-hearted and we're loving and we're kind and so forth. Well, that's one view. Then there's another view. The second view uh, 
is referred to as close communion. Close communion. Here's what that means. It means that, that, that if we are saved and if we are members of a church of like faith, in other words, another Baptist church, that it's okay to observe the Lord's Supper with this other church. That's a very, very popular view, by the way. That, uh, you know, after all, we're all Baptists and we're all Christians, so what's the, what's the big deal about uh, observing the Lord's Supper? I mean, we're out of town on vacation and we're here with you and you're observing the Lord's Supper and we want to participate in it. Again, that sounds like a good deal. I mean... Close communion. But then there's a third. And this is where Baptists have historically stood over the years. And that is what is referred to as closed communion. And by that we simply mean that to properly observe the Lord's Supper, you have to be a member of the church that is administering the ordinance. And again, I say that historically, that's what Baptists have believed. It's just in the last, you know, 20 years or something like that, that it's become popular to adopt the Protestant view that, oh yeah, close communion's all right. And people really get into some big arguments about that. So those are the three views. Now... In order to answer this question, who is to observe the Lord's Supper, there are some scriptural guidelines that we must follow. Number one, and I think all of these are perfectly clear from what we've read here tonight in 1 Corinthians, participants must be members of the church observing the ordinance. Uh, We just observed Independence Day. By we, I mean we Americans. You see, Americans are the only ones that can properly observe Independence Day. Now, other people, out of respect for our day, you know, they, they might uh, show some token of, of, of understanding, or maybe they want to fly the American flag or whatever. But only a real American can celebrate Independence Day, and only a child of God can actually scripturally observe the Lord's Supper. Remember this morning I'm talking about rejecting God's offer of salvation, how horrible that is, how it grieves the heart of God. You see, if you've never received God's Son as your Savior, you don't have any right to sit down at the Lord's Supper supper, and to partake of those elements. Now, somebody comes along and they say, Oh, yeah, you know, you Baptists are just narrow-minded and you're uncharitable and, and whatever. Well, you can call us whatever you want, but I'm more interested in being right than I am in being popular And people criticize simply because they do not understand. Every example you find in the Bible, you'll discover that the participants in the Lord's Supper are those who had professed Christ as their Savior and had been baptized. In every instance, that is the case. Listen, that's the standard that we ought to follow. I have several quotations that I've jotted down here on a piece of paper that... 
that I thought about reading, and all of the quotations come from various early church fathers, as they're called, and historians like Gibbons, who, you know, who wrote the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. Justin Martyr, let me just give you a couple of these. He said, this is 150 A.D., and I'll give you some idea of the line of thought. It says, It is not lawful for any to partake of the Lord's Supper, but such as believe the things that are taught by us to be true and have been baptized. Gibbon, who wrote the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, here's what he said. With the early Christians, the Lord's Supper followed baptism. Neander, who was considered to be the man, the leading church historian said this. He said, No man could be present at the communion who was not a member of the church and incorporated into it by baptism. Okay, again, what about those other people then that believe exactly what we do about salvation They've been baptized exactly as we have by another Baptist church somewhere. They're a member of another Baptist church, but everything else is the same. What about them? J.R. Graves wrote this. He said, If the Lord's Supper is a church ordinance as must be admitted and a symbol, among other things, of our visible church relations in the same particular church with which we celebrate it, then it is a violation of the truth symbolized to invite members of other Baptist churches to participate in it. Hmm. Maybe it will help us to understand if we remember that every church is independent from all other churches. And every church is to be, is to govern their own affairs as the Lord directs. Now here's the thing, and this is the key, I think, to helping you understand why we believe in closed communion. Now, let me stop there a minute because people, again, they get all upset because we put these restrictions on the Lord's table, and, 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 and we insist on it. And yet they forget that whether we're talking about Catholics or Protestants or Baptists or whoever, everybody has certain restrictions that they impose. It's not a matter of whether or not we're going to put restrictions on who participates in it, It's a matter of what those restrictions are going to be. So the very same people that criticize us for insisting that the participants be members of our church, people that have been saved and baptized and are members of our church, the same people that criticize us for that have their own set of restrictions. I mean, if... If we've got former Catholics here, you, you know that's true. Everybody, listen, everybody's not welcome to to partake of the Mass. Not, oh, you say, well, I know one where they let anybody. Well, you, you read their writings, you read what the popes have said, you read what they believe, and you'll soon discover their belief is that if you're not, listen, if you're not a part of their so-called church, you're going to hell. 
I, I don't understand why so many people get upset at us and then turn right around and lovingly embrace a doctrine like that. That just, that just doesn't sound right. You've heard people say, well, you Baptists think nobody's going to heaven but you. I've never heard a Baptist preacher say that. I, I don't know any Baptist that believes that. We don't believe that for one second. So I'm trying to get you to see that everybody has restrictions. Our restrictions just takes it a step further than others. Now, here's the reason, here's the key right here. Nobody, except the church that you are a member of, knows you and is able to make judgments concerning your behavior as your home church does. Nobody. If somebody comes in, they're on vacation. They're born again Baptists. I've never met them before in my life. Nobody here knows them. They, listen, they come in here. We're observing the Lord's Supper. They want to participate. We don't know anything about them whatsoever. I'm telling you, some of the meanest, honoriest people I ever met in my life have been independent Baptists. I mean, I'm telling you the truth. Now, that brings us to our next point, and you've got to tie all of this together, and here it is, that participants not only must be members, born-again, baptized believers, members of that particular church, but they must be members who are in fellowship with that church. Let's go back to Matthew chapter number 18. Our Lord was smart enough to realize that there are going to be differences and divisions in the church. And consequently, He gives us some guidelines in dealing with those differences. And here's what He says beginning in verse number 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Man, I wish I had time to just camp out here for a while. That's the way to deal with an issue. Somebody did something, it offended you. They hurt you. How are you going to deal with it? Let me tell you what you don't do. You don't start a gossip campaign about it. Go to that person by yourself. I talked to a lot of people that wanted to skip that verse. In fact, I've had instances where people showed up at my office and wanted to talk with me, and oh yeah, they brought somebody with them. You know, they wanted to have a wanted to have a witness there, and and they just you know they think they're doing it scriptural, and and they've just skipped over this first part altogether. You see, the fewer people we can involve in our debates and so forth, the better off it is. Everybody doesn't need to know about it. So go to your brother, just you and him alone. Now notice what happens next. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother success. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. It's very important that we don't skip any of these steps. Verse 17, And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. 
But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Have you ever heard people say, what I do is my business. It's none of the church's business. That's not true. If you are a member of this church, what you do is our business. Now, you don't have to be a member of this church. But if you are, that makes it our business because you represent this church. And for us to scripturally observe the Lord's Supper, there must be unity in the church. We must be in fellowship one with another. Listen, the New Testament is full of verses that relate to this matter of church discipline. You know, we keep talking about being a sound, Bible-believing, New Testament church. Are we really? And I'm not talking about just us. I'm talking about churches in general. Let me tell you, in most Baptist churches today, you can do almost anything under the sun and there'll never be anything said about it. You'll never have to answer for it. I'm just sort of confused and amazed how that the same people that ignore that insist that the members make a profession of faith. Let me tell you, there are some of them that insist that someone coming for membership, they stand before the congregation and they put it in their own words and they give their own testimony that they've been saved. Now, if they want to do that, that's fine. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to insist that they do that. I I want to find out. I want to hear them say and tell me that, yes, they have received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and I'm going to leave it there. But the same people that insist that they do that, the same people that insist that baptism be under the authority of the church and baptism be by immersion, and that's all right. But those same people, when it comes to church discipline, they act like it doesn't even exist. Well, let me read some verses. I, You know, sometimes we just assume that these are things that everybody knows and understands, and that might not be the case. Turn to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 and verse 17. Listen to what Paul writes. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Who's he talking about? Brethren. People in the church, people that made professions of faith, avoid them. For they that are set serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly and and by good words and fair speeches declare the hearts of the simple. Now turn to Second Thessalonians chapter three. Second Thessalonians chapter number three, and these are verses that we need to pay attention to. Chapter number three, verse six. Now we command you, hey, hey, that's about as strict as it can get, don't you agree? This is not a suggestion. 
We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. Now, Titus chapter number 3. Titus chapter 3, and I want you to notice verse number 10. Titus 3 and verse number 10. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition, reject. One more. First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4, verse number 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it be first, and if it first began with us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Now, in reality, folks, we did not even need to leave this letter of First Corinthians. Because over and over and over again, Paul deals with this same issue. He says the same things. Let me give you another example. I, I'm, I, maybe I, I don't know if I've convinced you. Look at chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, and I think it's verse number 11. Yes. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man which is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one. No, not to eat. And there are many others. We neglect church discipline because it's a very unpleasant subject. We don't want to deal with it because we don't want to hurt people and we are afraid that we might run somebody off. Now listen, the message tonight is not about church discipline or I would go into much more detail talking about this. It's about the Lord's Supper. But you've got to understand the connection here. The Bible clearly teaches that there is such a thing as church discipline. We do not do that out of anger. We do it out of love. We don't do it because we're trying to get rid of people. We do it because we are trying to help people. We don't do it to hurt them. We do it with the hope that we in some way can avert judgment that's coming upon their life. Just as the Bible teaches that judge the other day that said something about you can't spank your kids anymore. That used to be acceptable. You cannot do that anymore. Let me tell you what the Bible says. I've heard even Christians say, well, I don't believe you ought to spank your kids. Well, I think you ought to start paying attention to what the Bible says. The Bible could not be any more clear that if you love your children, you will chastise your children. You will correct your children. You, oh yeah, I do that. I'll make them sit in the corner. I'll make them take a time out. I, I don't let them watch TV. Well, look. I mean, if we're going to follow the Bible, let's follow the Bible in regards to all of these things. And boy, if I understand my Bible, I mean, he says, here's, now listen, this is what the Bible says. You spare the rod, you hate the child. 
don't you talk to me about really loving your child. You Listen, you might have great feelings for your child, but love is more than that. Love is taking into consideration the feelings and the needs of the person trying to reach those. I mean, that that that's what love is. And if you're not concerned about ministering to the needs in the in the life of your child, then something's wrong. If you're really concerned, the Bible says you will chastise them and you'll use an instrument to do it. Well, I'm getting off track, I realize. And, and I often say, don't use your hand, even though I've been guilty of that. Take the personal connection out of it. Get a switch or a little stick or whatever it is. And like old Dr. Bill Rice used to say, here's a good rule of thumb on chastising your kids. He said, you can do it safely once a week. And if you don't know what it's for, they will. We don't spank our children because we because we hate them. We don't spank our children because we don't want what's best for them. If we really care about the members of the church, we'll do what the Bible says. And in those certain instances where everything else fails, then we are obligated to exercise church discipline in regards to those people. Now, let's get back to the story. Remember Paul said to this church, you cannot observe the Lord's Supper. Not like this. You are divided. There's sin in the church. And by the way, there were several other issues that we don't have time to deal with it here. We're still talking about when we observe the Lord's Supper. We do it when we are assembled. We do it according to the dictates of the Bible. But listen... We do it when there's unity in the church. If we're fussing and fighting, we're in no condition to do that. Now, look at verse 27, because if we have to be in fellowship with the church, this is what has to happen. We as participants must judge, that is, examine and judge ourselves. Verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Notice the word unworthily in verse number 27. A lot of people have misunderstood that. I've had people come to me say, Brother Stone, I'm not going to be there next week, and uh, I'm not going to be there because... Uh, I'm just I'm I'm unworthy to to partake of the Lord's table, and they try to use this verse here as 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 their reasoning. It didn't say unworthy; it said unworthily. We're all unworthy. None of us are deserving to sit down at the Lord's table. It's not a matter of whether we're worthy or not. This word unworthily has to do with the manner or the fashion and our attitude about how we observe the Lord's Supper. It's speaking about something that is careless, something that is, uh, and for example, an, irre- an irreverent spirit in regards to the Lord's Supper. And that's what's going on. He said, good night. You don't, well, he didn't say that. I did. But he, you, you don't even wait on each other. I mean, whenever you come together, some of you have already eaten. Some of you have already drank. And I mean, you, you've already gone off and did your thing. And some folks hadn't even got there yet. 
You can't observe the Lord's Supper that way. And Paul says, you better examine yourself because if you don't, and look, notice how important, how serious this is. He said, for this cause, many among you are, are, are weak and sickly. Some of you sleep. In other words, some of the members had literally died prematurely as a result of partaking of the Lord's table in a manner that was insulting to God. You think this isn't serious business with God? Look, folks, this is a matter of life and death, whether you believe it or not. When we observe the Lord's Supper, it's a matter of life and death. We don't want to, we don't want to take it lightly. And we don't want to, listen, we don't want to get caught up and bicker about little minor details. You know, some people really get upset because we observe the Lord's Supper most of the time, and by the way, I think you can observe it scripturally Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, but some people just, it's got, it's got to be their way or no way. And the same people that would argue about that have never even stopped to think that Jesus was actually crucified on Wednesday. Whoa, have I opened a can of worms now? Oh, I thought it was Good Friday. No, it was Wednesday. That's the only way you can get 72 hours or three days and three nights. I know that's what you've heard all of your life. Well, it's just talking about a part of days. No, no. Whenever it talks about three days and three nights, the only way you can get that is 72 hours. Jesus was crucified on a Wednesday. When did He initiate the Lord's Supper? Well, it was just before He was crucified, right? It's in the middle of the week. It's not even on a Sunday. Now, the only reason I raised that issue is to remind you, let's not bicker about some of those details to the point that we lose the blessing of observing the Lord's table. Before we observe it, which will be, in, I'll, I'll announce it probably next Sunday, and it'll be in a couple of weeks. We want to make sure that everybody has had a chance to examine themselves and that they understand why they need to do so. Many years ago, among a lot of the Baptist churches, I believe it was Spurgeon, if I'm not mistaken, one of the big-name preachers, that literally slapped the communion cup out of a woman's hand. He, he, he knew about these sins in her life, and she started to partake of the, of the cup, and he just slapped it out of her hands, and forbid her to participate. Let me tell you, we don't do that here. That's why we have this teaching. Whenever we observe the Lord's Supper, we're going to pass the elements. What you do with those elements is between you and God. There might be someone here that's not a member of this church. If they participate, that's, and, and listen, I've, 
I have covered all of my bases. I'm telling you the Bible teaches that to observe the Lord's Supper scripturally, you've got to be saved, you've got to be baptized, you've got to be a member of the church that is administering the Lord's Supper. That's the scriptural way to do it. But I'm not going to embarrass someone and humiliate someone and force them to do something other than what they're going to do. So... And I feel like I need to say that because a lot of times people will say, well, you know, boy, if that's the way this church operates, I'm afraid to bring my neighbors and my friends. I'm afraid somebody might embarrass them. No, listen, they might embarrass themselves, but we are not going to intentionally embarrass someone. I know other churches, when it comes time to observe the Lord's Supper, they ask everybody that's not a member to be dismissed to leave. I've, I've never done that. I don't suppose I ever will. Here's what I'm getting at, folks. When it's all said and done, it is our own individual responsibility to judge ourselves. Don't you judge your husband or your wife, your parents or your children. Don't you be guilty of judging somebody else. We've got enough to do in trying to take care of ourselves and make sure all is well between us and God. I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to observing the Lord's Supper this time. Well, I always do, but I just, I just believe in my heart that it's going to be a, a special time in the life of this church. And I invite you to join me in prayer that it might be so, and that nobody will leave saying, Well, I just don't understand what that's all about. That's the reason for these messages. Let's stand and bow our heads. Father, how we thank You that we can can have a part in Your church. And we think about how unworthy we are, our filthy, vile, sinful beings, and yet You loved us enough that Your Son shed His blood, gave His body as a sacrifice for our sins. Tonight I pray that this matter of self-examination might start even now. It might be that we have believed all of the right things about it, but we've had just a maybe a horrible, terrible attitude toward those that disagree with us. Help us, Heavenly Father, to learn to love people unconditionally just like You loved us. Whether we agree with them or not, help us to never fail to love them. And use this occasion tonight to remind us of the tremendous sacrifice that was made by our dear Savior. For we ask it all in His name. Now as we lift our voices,